Good morning, beloved. Please turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 to 26 this morning. You may notice in your Bible the heading over this section is anger. And so some of you may be asking yourselves, some of you may not have yet asked the question, do I have an anger problem? I want to help you this morning. I can give you the answer. Yes. You have an anger problem. I have an anger problem. I want to just imagine a few situations with you, situations from normal life. So imagine you're driving already. <laughs> driving, somebody cuts you off, or you're in the lane, somebody's going 20 below the speed limit in front of you, you're in a rush. What is this guy doing? Or you're driving the speed limit, somebody comes up blasting behind you, flashing their lights and honking their horn. Oh, come on, I'm, I can't go any faster. Children, boys, girls, imagine you have something that you've been keeping, this special toy, this special game, and then your brother and sister comes and snatches it away, ruins it. Imagine you're at work and you're being treated unfairly. Or you're in a line, you're waiting patiently and you keep seeing people cut in front of the line or the person at the head of the line is always calling new people in that haven't been there before. You start to feel frustrated, impatient, angry. Why am I standing in line? These people are just cutting in front. And your family, you're here working, you may have family members who have Expectations of you that f you feel are onerous. They feel angry with you. You feel angry with them. Or parents, you have children. You have expectations. They ought to be this way. They ought to do these things. They're not meeting your expectations. You feel angry towards your children. Or here in the UAE, we're all from somewhere else. We're interacting with people from different cultures who speak different languages. I'm sure all of us have had conversations where you're saying something as clearly as you can. You're saying the same thing over and over, and they just can't quite get it. And after a while, you start to get frustrated. I'm, I'm saying it. I'm telling you what I mean, and you're not, you're not hearing me. All of us have an anger problem. Let's look to what Jesus says about our anger. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Lord, help us today as we look at your word. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin in our own hearts, 
Help us to see our own sin rightly. Give us humble hearts that are willing and ready to repent and help us to be reconciled to one another that we may worship you rightly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is calling us here to name and to hate the sin of anger. And he's calling us to love and pursue unity in our midst. He gives us two ways to do this. First, he tells us to look inside. Look inside. See the sin in your own heart. This is what we see in verses 21 and 22. And then in verses 23 to 26, he tells us to look outside. See the results of our sin on those around us. So first, verses 21 and 22, Jesus is telling us to look inside. See the sin in you. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So as we read this, many of us have read this section before, and as we go on, last week we heard from the following section, which is about lust. And Jesus six times says, you've heard that it was said, you've heard that it was said, you've heard that it was said to those of old. And many of us may assume, okay, Jesus is saying, the Old Testament says this, and now I'm saying something else. I just want to draw your attention to what it says. Every time Jesus quotes scripture, he, says, he introduces it with, it is written. If you look in the, the chapter before Matthew 4, as Jesus is being tempted in the desert, Satan comes and tempts him, and he responds each time with scripture, and he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus has complete confidence in the written word of God. Jesus is not here saying the Old Testament law is failing, I'm doing something new. Instead, Jesus is contrasting his teaching with the traditions of the rabbis and the Pharisees who are building up this outward system of obedience. If you read on through Matthew 5, you'll see that some of the things that he says you have heard that it was said in fact, contradict scriptural teaching. Jesus has just said in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is not saying here, Old Testament says this, set that aside, I'm doing something new. Jesus is saying, I am the authoritative authoritative interpreter of the Old Testament. You've heard that it was said by these rabbis, these scribes, Pharisees, these spiritual leaders, you've heard something from them. I'm telling you what God's word actually teaches. Last week, I was really moved by our brother Absalom. I hope many of you are here to hear his baptism testimony. And he testified in his own life to claiming the name of Christ, but for years, even decades, just following this system of outward obedience without any true basis in the gospel. This can happen to us now. This is not an Israel 2,000 years ago problem. This can happen to us now. But as our brother Absalom testified, though he had this system of outward righteousness that he had built, it came crumbling down. So will our lives crumble down if they're not built on the solid rock. So Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said by these religious teachers, 
do not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. Now, as we heard last week from Ben, we've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So you may come here this morning and think, haven't murdered anybody. I hope that that's true. It's not enough. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Jesus is saying, listen to me. I'm the one saying it. I say to you, whoever, mur- uh, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he says, you've heard this about murder. I'm saying the same penalty for murder, liable to judgment. That judgment was death. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. I'm saying to you, whoever is angry is liable to judgment. And then he goes on and he builds. Now, this is not, I think he's giving us three ways of looking at it. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. This is the next step up. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is showing us anger. The sin which gives birth to murder is in our hearts. God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. That sin which gives birth to murder is already in us. And Jesus is saying, if you're angry, it's the same. This is the same sin as murder. I read a helpful definition of anger this week. Um, One author says, the essence of anger is when we say, this is wrong, I'm making a judgment, this is wrong, and I need to do something about it. Anger is, something happens, and you're making a judgment, this thing which has happened, usually it's a thing which has happened to me, is wrong. This person has wronged me. This situation, somehow I've been wronged, and now... I need to do something about it. One of the ways that we do this is by insulting or slandering. This is the first way that Jesus talks about this. He says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. So we, we speak evil of one another. We speak to one another in a way that tears each other down, whether that's to someone's face or whether that's behind their back. You speak of someone in a way that assassinates their character, in a way that delegitimizes them, in a way that tears them down. You're taking into your hands the authority of judgment. I'm going to say this to or about this person to bring them down. Then he says, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, for us now, in modern English, fool is not a word that we use a whole lot. And especially if you've been in the church very long, fool is a word that you probably most often encounter in the Bible. If you read the book of Proverbs, it talks about fools, folly, foolishness. There is a right and biblical category for who is a fool. And judging that is not the thing that Jesus is talking about here. I think probably more helpful for us is saying idiot, moron, saying something that 
is only meant to tear down. I'm saying something to you or about you to bring you down. I'm using my words to cast judgment. And Jesus says, this is deadly serious. The anger in your heart, the venom on your tongue is the same in the eyes of God as murder. This is deadly serious, and it's in your heart, and it's in my heart. The first step for us is to call sin, sin. We can often ease our own souls by using all of these other words. I wasn't angry, I was frustrated. I wasn't angry, I was upset. I wasn't angry, I was disappointed. I'm not angry, I'm just sarcastic. I'm not angry, in fact, this is somebody else's fault, I'm not angry, I'm hurt. We use all these other words. You can think of a dozen more. Jesus says to you and to me, no. This is anger. This is anger in your heart. And it will destroy you. Years ago, I was talking to a man who was a house inspector. He would inspect old houses, and he said with pipes, especially in older houses, often they can look fine on the outside, but once the interior of the pipe starts to rust, if it's not been used, it'll look fine on the outside, and then that rust will start to corrode the pipe, building on the inside until finally the pipe is completely blocked and it's utterly worthless. And then the only thing that you can do is rip out that pipe and put in a new pipe. The anger in your heart is like this rust. You might look fine on the outside. You may be able to convince others and even yourself, it's fine, I have not murdered. I've heard that it was said, do not murder, I've not murdered. I've heard this, haven't done that. This anger is in your heart. It's corroding until it utterly destroys you. Children, are you angry with your brothers and your sisters? Is there disunity in your home? Wives, does your husband keep doing the same thing no matter how many times you ask him, growing bitter? What's wrong with this person? Fathers, are you harsh with your children over small things? Somebody spills water on the floor and you lose it. Has somebody sinned against you and you're holding on to it? I can't forgive this person. I won't forgive this person. I heard a pastor one time say that holding on to anger and refusing to forgive is like swallowing a bottle of rat poison and then sitting and watching and waiting for the rat to die. It's not hurting them. It's destroying you. Young men, are you angry at how your life has worked out? You didn't think it was going to go this way. You're refusing to take responsibility for your own situation. 
Young women, are you constantly looking at what everybody else is doing on social media and thinking, why, why do they get that? Why do they get to do these things? Why is their family like this? Filled with anger. Older brothers and sisters, are you tired and resentful? Feel like the world's passed you by, there's nothing you can do. Bitter and angry. Unless you repent, this sin will drag you to hell. Jesus has just said in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And here he's telling us what that means. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is don't murder. I'm telling you, you need a better righteousness. Scribes and Pharisees, the one who look like they got it all together, you need something better than them. They say don't murder. I'm telling you, if you have anger in your heart, if you're using your words to cut and to hurt and to tear down, if you're saying you fool, you're guilty of the same sin. If you're hearing this this morning, you should be thinking, that's me. I use my words this way. I'm angry with this person in my heart. I'm regularly frustrated, not frustrated, angry at my husband, my children, my father, my coworker, my boss. You need a better righteousness. The good news, whether you're here this morning and you've been walking with Jesus and regularly falling and failing in this way, or whether you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, you're hearing this and feeling this is an impossible standard. I can't do this. You're right. But, dear friend, you have been offered a better righteousness than that of the scribes and Pharisees. The answer is not, you can do it. Just change today and never be angry again and then you'll be fine. There is a better righteousness. That righteousness is in Christ. That righteousness is in our Lord Jesus who came, who lived as a man, who was tempted in every way as we are. That means Jesus was tempted to sinful anger, but he didn't sin. We have the question, okay, isn't there such a thing as righteous anger? Yes, there is. It's way, way smaller than you think it is. If you're questioning, is my anger sinful? Assume that it is. Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted to sinful anger as we are, but he never sinned. Our Lord came, he lived a perfect life, and he died. And he takes the punishment of everyone who would believe in him. The punishment that I deserve for being angry. The punishment that you deserve for saying, you fool. The punishment that we deserve for being angry, slandering, insulting our neighbor. Jesus took that punishment. And he offers us a better righteousness. If you would repent and trust on him, you can be confident. There is forgiveness. There is grace. Whether your murder is in your heart 
or whether the blood is on your hands, there is forgiveness in Christ. Jesus tells us first, we need to look inside. We need to see the sin in our own hearts. And then he directs us to look outside. What does our sin do to those around us? Verses 23 to 26, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus says, first, we need to see and diagnose the anger in our own hearts. That feeling when you tell your child, do this, and instead they do every other thing. When you're driving a truck, wherever that is, we need to deal with that sin urgently. We need to name it as sinful anger, repent, ask God for forgiveness, and then we need to look outside. What has my sin done before others? And Jesus is telling us here to deal with sinful anger urgently. Don't pretend that reconciliation and repentance are secondary. Okay, I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. I need to give my offering. I need to this, 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 this. And then reconciliation and repentance if I get around to it and if I still feel like it. If you have a heart that truly wants to worship God, you must urgently repent. Jesus is telling us, if you would worship me, this is how you must worship. Reconciliation, repentance is not secondary. It's not optional. It is part of worshiping him. When we come to our holy God, we come as he directs us. In 1 Samuel 15, there's a story of Saul. Saul's the king. God has commanded him because of the wickedness of the Amalekites to utterly destroy them down to the livestock. Saul goes. He defeats the Amalekites. Samuel comes, and Saul says, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've done everything that God commanded me. And when I read it, I feel like this is a dry one-liner. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny in the same way that fat baby cow is, but Samuel responds, he says, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen? And Saul says, I had a great idea. Instead of killing them all, like God told me, I am keeping the best ones so that we can sacrifice them to God. Isn't that great? Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen than the fat of rams. Jesus is telling you, don't come here and think that you can buy favor with God by giving an offering, by sitting at this table. Our God is not a God who can be bought so cheaply as to take your money and say everything's fine when your life is full of bitterness and anger and broken relationships. 
you come in that way, with broken relationships in your life, bitterness in your heart, anger towards others, and you say, that's my Monday to Saturday life. Now I'm going to come and take the Lord's Supper. God's word says to you, that is not the Lord's Supper that you take. You might receive the bread and the cup. That's not the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, if you come to the altar, you're offering your gift, and there remember that your brother has something against you. So he's saying, you've come all the way to Jerusalem. You're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember, this person has something against me. And what he's saying is, this person has something against me because I've sinned against them or I've otherwise failed them in a significant way. I remember they have something against me. He says, go, leave it there, go. You might be here this morning and think, okay, I have a relationship in my mind. I know I need to make it right. I'm really going to try this week, give this person a call. This morning, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper. Everything's going to be fine, and then I'll, I'll really try to deal with it. Jesus is telling this to people by the Sea of Galilee. The altar where they would have offered their gifts is 130 kilometers away in Jerusalem. You get there by walking. He says, if you're at the altar in Jerusalem and you remember, I've sinned against my brother. He has something against me. He says, leave it. Go. Five days walk back up to Galilee. Be reconciled to your brother. Don't come this morning and say, all right, fine, I do need to do something, I will do it later. Jesus says, no, leave it, you go. But, this is amazing, look at, look at verse 24 with me. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. But Jesus is not just saying, if you're a sinner, if you're guilty of the sin of anger, if you have unrepentance in your heart, get out of my house. He says, leave it there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then, come and offer your gift. Jesus is not saying, you have to be perfect to come to me. Jesus is not saying, if you're guilty of this sin of anger, if you have bitterness in your heart, if you have relationships that are broken, get out. What he is saying is, if you have those things in your heart, if you're guilty of this sin of anger, first go and repent. And then, he says, first be reconciled, and then come and offer your gift. The church is not a gathering of perfect people. If you look left, look right, look in front of you, look behind you, you're not looking at perfect people who are innocent and you're the guilty one. The church is rather a gathering of people who know they are sinners, who know I have murdered in my heart. I've used my words to tear down. I've held on to a grudge. I'm choosing to be bitter. I'm hanging on to this. I'm irritable and flying off the handle at the first little thing. 
the church is filled with people who know I'm a sinner and they repent. Friends, if you're here and you're feeling this weight over and over as Jesus is saying, you're guilty of murder. You're liable to judgment. You're liable to hell. You're feeling this weight. I know that's me. I know that I've spoken harshly. I know that I don't have a right relationship with this person. You're hearing it and it's crushing you. There is grace. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus offers mercy and forgiveness to all of us who stumble in anger. God offers grace to all of us to use the gifts that he's given for our own good. First, repent. Go and be reconciled. And then, come and offer your gift. Now, there's a question that we need to ask here. Are you responsible for every time somebody has something against you? Jesus is saying, if you remember, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you remember there that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Now, I've said that is because of your sin or otherwise significant failure. Does that mean anytime anybody's upset with me for any reason, it's on my head? No. And I'll tell you why it can't mean that. If you look up earlier in the chapter, verse 11, Jesus actually says, I'll start in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying there are going to be cases where you've spoken truth to someone, where you've done what's right, and they refuse to be reconciled. If that's the case, do everything that you can to bring peace. But at the end of the day, that is not on your head. Rather, we're responsible when because of our sin or failure, there's a broken relationship. If we have spoken truth and people hate us for it, Jesus doesn't say, you need to go and be reconciled. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So we look outside to see the results of our sin on others. Because of that, we need to deal with sinful anger urgently. When we see this in our heart, when we see broken relationships in our lives, this is a matter of first importance. If you would come and worship God, you must deal with these relationships. You must deal with this sin. You must repent. And we need to deal with sinful anger quickly. We deal with it urgently because it's a matter of first importance when we come before God for worship and we deal with it quickly. 
verses 25 and 26, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. All of us will fail in becoming angry with somebody around us. All of us will fail in using our words to tear someone down. Jesus is teaching us, deal with that sin quickly. Deal with it while it's fresh and small. Don't, it, it's only going to get harder. All of us have seen relationships where because of something, some division that happened, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago, people won't talk to each other. Don't wait till it gets to that point. Rather, if because of your sin, if because of your anger, if because of your words, there's division, go deal with it quickly. I recently had a skin infection, and I thought this is, you know, it's small, not a big deal, it'll just go away. And then the next day it's a little bit worse, next day it's a little bit worse till the pain is unbearable. And I go to the doctor, and the doctor said, what are you doing? Why, why did it get this bad? If you had come a week ago, I could have just given you some cream, and everything would have been fine. But now, because you've waited, it's gotten massive and infected. It's painful. You need to take this medicine, that medicine, this pill, that pill. Give this injection now so that it doesn't get in your blood. And it was a big ordeal. Anger. Division is like that in our lives. Don't wait till it gets inflamed and painful and then you can't think about anything else. Deal with it when it's small. The world would tell us, here's what you do. Are you angry with this person? Are they angry with you? What do you do? Just give it some time to cool off. Just give it time. Time heals all wounds. Everything will be fine. Jesus is saying, no. Go deal with it now. Deal with it before. It's a big deal and there's an irreparable relationship. Go and deal with it now. Don't let that root of bitterness grow. Husbands and wives, when your spouse does something that you think, goodness, how many times have we talked about this? How many times have I asked this guy not to do that? How many times do I have to, have to ask him, please wash the dishes, whatever the thing is? Husbands, you say, how many times do I have to tell her this is what I want? If you're not careful, bitterness, anger grows till you resent and hate each other. And it comes years later and you think, how did we get here? Deal with it. Well, it's small. When you're angry with your wife, when you're angry with your husband, go. Say, please forgive me. That is sinful anger. Be reconciled. Deal with it while it's small. Keep your accounts short. God's word says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You have anger in your heart. You have a relationship that's broken. Deal with it today. 
not tomorrow, not next week, not when it's convenient, not when you remember, today. Deal with the sin of anger quickly. The penalty, the weight of that sin of anger grows day by day by day. Deal with it today. And again, in verse 26, Jesus is showing us the seriousness of this sin. It says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penalty. If you are judged because of your sin, he says, if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. If you insult, liable to the council. If you say, you fool, liable to fiery hell. He says, I tell you, if you don't deal with this, you will not get out until you've paid the last penalty. This is of the utmost importance. Jesus has shown us we have an anger problem. You have an anger problem. Name that sin. This isn't frustration. It's not hurt. It's not disappointment. It's not being upset. It's anger. Hate that sin. Turn away from it. Flee from it. Look outside. See what that sin has wrought in your relationships, in your family, in your workplace, in your friendships. Go urgently deal with this sin. And you can do that with full confidence that God is gracious and merciful. When you deal with this sin, when you repent, when you're reconciled to your brother, this can be a weighty, a difficult, a humbling thing to go to someone who you know is angry with you and you say, forgive me, I've sinned against you. You might be fearful. We're at odds and I'm giving them all the power. I'm saying I've sinned. That's right. You're giving them the power and you're trusting God. Go be reconciled and trust that there is forgiveness in Christ for those who repent. Please pray with me. Lord, forgive us for the sin of anger in our hearts and in our midst. God, help us to repent. Help us to love you more than we love our own image of self-righteousness. And help us to seek the better righteousness that is available in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.